Welcome, listener. Join us for this Clear Path to Success professional development podcast. Welcome to the Clear Path to Success podcast for business development. This is a podcast where we intend to inform and educate you and to help you navigate the challenges of your practice by hearing about the successes and challenges of your peers. I am your host, Robert Yakos, a practitioner and a business owner. On today's episode, we have Robert uh, Ryan Diener. He's an acupuncturist and business uh, owner. He opened his practice in 2004, and he currently employs 21 employees. He operates a seven-figure practice, and he has quite a extensive bat- background, a degree in biology from the University of Maryland, and he received his master's degree from Southwest Acupuncture College in 2003. Ryan has taught advanced practice management for the PhD program at the Maryland University of Integrated Health, and he currently serves as vice president of the Contemporary Oriental Medicine Foundation and director of Holistic Health Associates, which he co-founded in 2005. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. Well, you know, we started out the a uh, little bit earlier, and we talked about quite a bit. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about uh, continuing our conversation. So my first question, uh, which I ask pretty much everybody is, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself that that I didn't uh, share in the intro about you. Uh, sure, sure. Well, um, you know, I kind of don't view myself as anything all that uh, interesting, to be honest with you. You know, I've got grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, have a big family there. Um, you know, lots of people at holidays, uh, 40 plus people at Thanksgiving and um, Hanukkah and some of these, some of the holidays that we have as family events. Um, You know, uh, live in Frederick, Maryland now, which is uh, a major acupuncture hotbed. If you look that up, uh, you will see lots of farmland around us. And um, it's definitely not what you would expect for there to be, you know, a big practice uh, located in, but, you know, we, we've become a um, kind of commuter town to both Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. And so it's been, uh, it's been great to be here watching the, watching the kind of the growth of this, this little area. So, you know, so that, you know, so that's where I am now. I had lived in D.C. and I'd lived in Baltimore and my wife lived in New York, you know, west side of New York for a while. And we ended up in, you know, basically, uh, rural, you know, rural Maryland, Western Maryland. And so we're close enough to city life that, that it's, you know, that, that we can get that. But, um, but it's interesting how where your practice starts can may, can have a major influence in how you progress. And so, you know, we moved, moved here in 2000 uh, or started working here in 2004. Um, I had a, I had a little dog that I would bring to the office every day. Um, my, my, my office dog. So he, for 10 years, went into every treatment room with me. And then, uh, he passed away about, uh, about almost four years ago. Now I got another dog with the same intention because everybody, I mean, I had a book of, uh, people writing notes to this dog that and <laughs> people crying in the treatment room. Like I'd walk into the treatment room and so this, this guy, this seven year old man would be in tears because the dog passed away and it was unbelievable like what an influence having you know an animal in the office as we were growing really was and now you know we got a new dog and he's a monster and he's there's no shot he's going to be a therapy dog so (laughs) you know i I honestly think so yeah so that's it i think we 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 can stop this podcast right now because (laughs) we know the secret of your success has been (laughs) dogs (laughs) All right, come on, man. I got to be honest with you. It was awesome. I agree. I agree. I want to bring my dog in, but um, I think the dog would just shed everywhere. So that that wouldn't be good. And my cleaning bills would be too high, but that's on a side. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's get into uh, your practice because um, obviously you have one of the, the biggest practices in our field. And going back when you were starting school, my question to you is, was having a big practice like this part of your design? Was it something that when you were in school, you said, 
and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to map it out and it's going to look like this. Or tell us a little bit more about, about how this came into creation. Sure. I'm, you know, I think when I went to school, it was probably like most of us, you know, there really was no plan. I just was totally enamored with the field of Chinese medicine and the philosophy and, you know, what it could do. And, um, you know, it was more just following a passion than it was, you know, looking at it as a, as a business opportunity. Um, you know, my, my mom, when I told her I was going to go to acupuncture school, she burst into tears. I mean, she thought we were, I was throwing my life away. <laughs> it's like the biggest mistake ever. You know, who, who in their right mind, I don't even know what that is, who in their right mind would go into this field. So, you know, you're giving up your pre-med degree to go to some crazy hack field, you know. So, um, you know, so for, for me, there really wasn't a plan per se going to acupuncture school. It wasn't until afterwards and getting out into the real world and realizing how hard it is to build a practice and, you know, kind of bumping my head against the wall going like, I did not expect this to be this hard. What is going on here? And why are there so many other medical fields where they just look like they all have it together. And this is like a field of, of we're, we're all just kind of bumbling around trying to, you know, get our, chase our tail. Um, so it wasn't really until I got out into the real world that any real plan came to fruition. And then that's when I realized what a deficiency there was in the field of acupuncture for, you know, job opportunities and, you know, uh, uh, professional medical practices that were based on, Chinese medicine or holistic medicine, um, you know, so much of it was either really kind of out there, you know, new age based and stylistic styled around like a new age kind of culture, or they were just failures, you know, there were just people that were really struggling, myself included at that time. And so I just got very interested in what, what was missing and filling a void. I felt like there was just this huge void in our field that needed to be filled and for two years after graduation, I don't think I went read, I don't think I read one book on acupuncture. I, I, everything that I studied for about two years was business, marketing, sales, um, you know, finance. I, I just, I just kind of went this, we have to learn this stuff because otherwise people are, you know, these schools are dropping us on our heads going like, go start a business. Good luck. And there really wasn't any true training on how to do that, nor were there job opportunities back in 2005 that made any sense whatsoever. So, um, so yeah, so it just became an out of necessity, really. Yeah, I agree. When, when I, when I talk to students that come into the clinic, I tell them after graduation, you've got enough techniques and things to help a majority of of the people that come into your door. Mm -hmm. Your study now isn't to just continue on with your education on, on techniques but to study business and the practice. And it should be done concurrently in school, to be honest. It should be, you know, sitting down and talking about and, and brainstorming about what your practice should look like, how you're going to do it, who are your mentors, et cetera, et cetera, while you're in school, visiting these professional practices, understanding like the secret sauce, you know, what, what makes them successful? What are the components of that? Yeah. Um, and that, that's so, so important. Um, so going back, with your when you started and you opened up your practice when you started the study and you wanted to understand a lot of the times we we start to study something where we realize we're uh, deficient in it Hmm. that we're just not good at this we're not good at that we're trying to get people through the door or you know we're trying to make things happen in the clinic what do you think when you are in that that start phase there that was your biggest issue, biggest challenge that you needed to find answers for? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, the biggest challenge that I had then and the biggest challenge that I talk to most practitioners who I speak with now is still the same. And it's not actually getting new patients in the door. It's communicating to new patients what to expect and making sure that there's clear, clear agreement between the practitioner and the patient so that what is considered success is uh, a shared agreement. And so that was something that I didn't, I couldn't have articulated this way back when I started practicing, but you see it because you're, you've got patients that are coming in and they come for two sessions, three sessions, four sessions, 
and they drop off and they don't see the value. They don't understand that there's a process in place that it will take some time to get to, to, to from point A to point B. And, you know, we weren't, I wasn't very good at the beginning of being able to really clearly describe that to a patient in a way that made sense. It was almost like they were doing me a favor by coming into the practice. And I was going like, how do you feel today? How do you feel today? How do you feel today? You know, and the mm-hmm. truth of the matter is the model that we learn in school is, is just very antiquated. You know, we went through clinic and it was very much, you know, have the patient come three or four times and then let's, you know, um, you know, and, and that'll be their treatment plan. Well, most of the things that we see as acupuncturists are patients who are coming in because they've tried something else and it hasn't really worked that well. So they've had their condition for a while or it's been some kind of, you know, uh, um, challenge that, that no one else has been able to figure out or something of that nature. And, you know, three or four treatments is, is just a, it's just a feeling out process. That's just getting the ball. That's just getting the, getting things started. And so for, 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 I think for me then, and for me, even now, and most of our practitioners, it's about really clearly being behind longer treatment plans that give the patient a chance to actually recover and, and, and have their internal workings resolve in a way that has lasting effect and isn't just kind of like, oh, good, I'm glad you feel better today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, is, is there something, is there a way that, that you've managed to figure out the communication aspect so that, that they understand that it becomes a shared agreement between practitioner and patient. That is something that, that it took you a while to come upon or something that, that you do extremely well uh, now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's always evolving. You know, we literally just redid our treatment plan form uh, in 2019 again for probably the like sixth or seventh time, you know, and it's always about, how do you continue to make it so clear what the expectations are that there's no um, there's no confusion that you know I heard somebody say something once that really stuck with me and it was it was um, a confused customer never buys you know and it's like you know confusion comes at different times during the treatment process it can come before somebody comes in the door because they're scared. It can come during the first session because they don't know what to like when the needle's coming and where they're going to go. It can come at the end of the first session when they're kind of wondering what they should expect, what they should feel. It could come after two or three sessions when, you know, they, they, um, they're wondering when they're going to get better, you know? And so we have kind of, you know, I've kind of put in place over the years and just through some trial and error, a system in place where we try to connect people from the very beginning to the end on a line so that the message is the same. So when they go, if you go to our website, the message that you get on the homepage of our website is the same message that you'll get when you, when you talk to the receptionist the first time in the door, which is the same message you'll get from the practitioner during the initial consultation, which is the same message you'll get when you get your treatment plan at the end of the consultation, which is the same message you'll get, after three or four sessions, when I know patients, no matter how many times you say it, are starting to question whether this is, you know, working or not, you know what I mean? And so, you know, so, so there's, there's kind of this continuous um, effort to maintain connection and to maintain uh, clarity of outcome and where we are in, the, in that process. And a lot of it is just positive reinforcement too, you know, so much of this, so much of the unknown leads to, um, uh, you know, uh, negativity and fear. And so a lot of what I do has to do with, look, you know, when you came in, it was only four sessions ago and you said that you couldn't reach up to the top shelf to put your, to put a cup on there. And yesterday you told me that you were hanging your shower curtain, you know? So it's like, you know, patients, you forget, they, they forget. And it's just so much of this is just recognizing, Hey, this is where we want you to go because you, this is where you want to go right? We mm-hmm. want the patient to tell us, hey, what's important to you? Because that, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk around this a little bit, and then you can kind of hone me in if you want. But this is a, I think this is a really important area, you know, so, you know, for the, for years, I just told the patients what I thought they should get to, you know, where I thought they should, you know, their healing should be. And then 
you know, I shifted it completely. I just 180 it. And it's now I asked the patient explicitly, what would success be to you as a result of this treatment, as a result of our treatment together? And I wait for them to tell me, because for some people, you know, you get elderly people and they're like, I just, I just feel, I just feel terrible every day. I just want to be able to go, go for a walk around my, my apartment building. And for other people, it's like, no, I, I want to run a marathon. And, you know, you really need to know that. You can't just assume that, even if you think you know, you really need the patient to tell you. And that reinforces it in their mind, what we're actually moving for. And then I write it down. I put it on their treatment plan. And I say, okay, we're going to revisit this. And don't expect it to be 100% there when we first revisit it a month from now. Mm-hmm. It's going mm-hmm. to, you know, it's going to be a checkpoint. And we're going to be looking for certain things. And I, I lay this whole thing out in a very short period of time but in a way that somebody who would never be in the treatment room could connect to. And that's what I assume. I assume every patient that comes in the door has no clue what they're getting into. I, I, I look at them and I think your, your wife, husband, you know, you know, brother, sister told you to come here and you just said, okay. And you have right. no idea what you're getting in for. That's how I treat everybody that comes in the door. Yeah. And I even do that for myself uh, with my patients especially those ones that have had acupuncture before. Mm-hmm. So yep. going into that education process and setting that expectation and, you know, that, that takeaway there as far as saying what would be success for you from this, that is so powerful. And I, I definitely think that should be underlined a hundred percent. And, you know, something that, that when somebody's sitting in front of me, as a Chinese medicine practitioner, we can help a lot of different things. And when you get that health history in front of you and it's like a, it's like peppered with check marks, <laughs> like, Oh, acid reflux, back pain, sleep issues, anxiety, depression. And you're sitting there and saying, okay, so I can design a masterpiece treatment plan for you. Mm-hmm. Or we can do you know, we can really go after something. You know, everything's interconnected. Of course, we know that, right? But to set the expectation of what you want to really focus on, whether it's the back pain or whatever, that's really, really important. Or if they want to continue treatment after that initial complaint is resolved, right? So So I give them the choice and I say, listen, I can design the most elaborate plan in the world but you might not want to do it because you just want to get back in the game and say, fix me up coach. I want to get back in the game and I'll give you a call when I have another problem. And, but it's my obligation as a practitioner of this medicine to say what this medicine can do. Yeah, for sure. No, it's very powerful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you know, the other thing that that does is it creates a under promise over deliver scenario because as you, as you know, as a practitioner, a lot of times, you know, as you start working on one of those millions of check marks, two other ones resolve because of the relationship between the digestive function and liver function, or, you know, the back and the urination issue. And, you know, things like that, they just tend to resolve together. But you, if you under promise, then when you do find that somebody's getting that extra benefit, they're like, thrilled you know if you say oh yeah sure we're going to get through all this whole list and then their back gets like 80 percent better they're disappointed you you want to do it the other way you know Mm -hmm. now with in your clinic do you have a clear defined evaluation appointment where you reevaluate a progress uh, appointment or something along that lines or do you say hey you remember you know four sessions ago you couldn't grab that can on the shelf or is there a, a, a definitive step there that you say, we're going to have a progress on such and such state? It, it depends on the case. So, you know, I want, I, I would love to tell you that we have this perfectly figured out and we do it the same way every time. And the truth is we don't, you know, we've got um, uh, different people coming in for different conditions. It's not, a, it, we have, we have what I call a soft specialty model, meaning we have different practitioners that are passionate and skilled with certain conditions. And so internally, we gear patients towards those, those practitioners, but we don't, um, we don't just treat women's health and endocrinology or, you, or you know, we don't just do orthopedic. We, we, we hold ourselves to kind of a, um, 
con, you know, condition specific specialty group. And then mm-hmm. we kind of work it that way. And so in regards to the evaluation, you know, that can be different if you're working on somebody who's a fertility patient or you're working on somebody that's coming in with frozen shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, so we kind of tailor the, eva- the reevaluation based on this, based on this, the, the, the patient. And sure, we have, you know, range of motion, you know, tools for frozen shoulder. And we have, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, questionnaires for for other conditions. And then a lot of times, you know, you're just busy and you're going like, okay, today's our reevaluation day. And I'm just at least telling them I'm looking a little bit harder. I'm going to spend a little more time on their pulse. I want to ask them a couple more questions than usual, but it might only be two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it just... I kind of feel that out based on the scenario and what we're working on in the individual patient as well. Now also with your model is your soft specialty model is that a, even though you have a specialist, let's say, do you still work together on one patient collaborate on, on care or is it that that patient, the, the lifespan of that patient is, is directed and, or, all treatments would be with that one specialist. So my philosophy on this is uh, not to make the patient wrong, you know, and it, it's and what, the, what I mean by that is I don't want the patient to, to dictate care, but what I do want the patient to dictate is, is it more important for you to stay with the same practitioner or is it more important for you to have flexibility of schedule? Because mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to me. We can handle it either way. We have six acupuncturists on staff um, and they're almost, they're all busy. Uh, The newest one has only been with us for about four months and she's seeing 30 patients this week. Um, So, you know, the, the, the majority of practitioners, even if we bring them in and they're not uh, technically the best practitioner, as long as the patient gets started on the right path, it's not that hard to follow a treatment plan. You know what I mean? So if you have somebody who's really good in fertility and they lay out kind of the, the plan and, you know, if they need to, we can interact because we're sitting right next to each other, taking notes, picking out herbs, things like that. Um, you know, we just support each other in the process. And I've set the expectation within the, with internally within our clinic that nobody, nobody owns a patient. You, your patient has the right to see another practitioner in this clinic and, it, and you, you're, you're not to take offense to that. Mm-hmm. And, and that we set that expectation from day one in the orientation. And that doesn't mean that a, a, a patient is just given willy nilly to whoever is working that day. We really try to give the patient the, um, we really try and make the patient right in this scenario and make it work for them. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's a total pain in the pain in the backside. And, you know, but, but ultimately, you know, I don't want that to be the reason that somebody stops care because they're afraid to go, they're afraid to go to another practitioner, but they're not really getting there, getting where they want to be with the one that they're working with. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful is that, a patient's coming in for acupuncture or herbs and they're, they shouldn't be coming in for the acupuncturist or the herbalist. Right. And they do. They do. I mean, you can't really control it, you, you can't. Know? but you know, but, and, and if it was in my ideal world, I would just put them in and I know practices that do this. And I've talked to really high level practitioners who run great clinics doing it this way, where they just set the expectation from the beginning with the patient hey, you're going to see whoever's working today. And I think it's great to do it that way. I mean, honestly, if I could go back and do it all over again, I may do it that way. But the way that we have kind of developed, we, you know, we want there some, you know, just like you go to a, go to a specialist and you, you always see the same, you know, person. I want to give my patient the opportunity to make that decision for them as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I think that that's, that's always a tough point. And I think as long as the spirit is there and that the practice, as far as the practitioners, Hey, if it's about dosage, right. as, especially at the very beginning is getting the right messages to the body so that the body can start correcting itself. 
that is so, so important. And getting that right frequency down is huge. And it might not be the best acupuncturist that, that prescribes the points, but the body is so intelligent yeah. that it wants to correct itself, right? No question, no question. And, and to your point, you know, that, that, is how we, that, that is how we lay it out, exactly how you said with, with patients is at the beginning, the most important thing is that you, you get the frequency. And so if it's not with me, as long as you're okay with it, you know, I'm happy for you to see one of my associates. And we just make it no, we make it no problem from the beginning. You know what I mean? Right. I love it. That's great. That's great stuff. So going back to, to you and your model, um, obviously you've, you've got a great practice and it's really built itself up really well. Um, were there any points that, that you expanded really quickly or there were a lot of challenges or any times that you felt like this is way above and beyond me and what I can do and it might not be what you want. Uh, anything that you were just having an oh shit moment? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, where to begin? There's so many. <laughs> I mean, we could probably spend four hours just talking about the mistakes that we've made over the years. I mean, even up to the point of last year, I made a huge kind of miscalculation on something. And uh, uh, as far as uh, not, not numbers wise, but just, um, you know, it's it, it, something I was trying to implement that just, just totally didn't land with the staff. And so, you know, any, you know, yeah, there's tons of situations. And one of the things that I think, you know, as I, I was mentioning to you earlier is at each phase of growth, if your goal is growth, there's going to be different challenges. And ultimately what you should be facing is higher level challenges. You should be facing higher level challenges at phase four of your growth process than you do at phase one. Your phase one level challenges are things like, how do I get people in the door? How do I, you know, pay my bills? How do I, you know, um, how do I uh, uh, talk about this at all? Like, well, you know, what am I doing? Should I specialize? Should I not specialize? There's all these kind of questions and it's just like total mental chaos at the beginning. And, uh, you know, for me, um, I was so driven at the beginning to build enough of a practice to be able to support myself that that part wasn't as hard. I didn't really run into, there were tons of challenges. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was living in a, in a, in a house with two other guys, uh, you know, and my dog in one, I, I had one room, me and the dog in one room in this house. And, you know, I was just reinvesting every dollar that I made back into the practice for two years. I didn't take one dollar out of the practice. I worked part time in a restaurant, um, you know, to pay the bills. I kept my expenses really low and I just reinvested, reinvested, reinvested because I knew that for me, the volume model was the answer to the lack of skill in business. It was like, how do you build up enough cushion so that when you make mistakes, you can, you can fall relatively softly and you're not mm -hmm. falling like really hard. So I, from the beginning, I, I kind of just intuited that that was the direction that I wanted to go in with the practice. Um, and so I just made it a point to really push the reinvestment into, into, the, into the business. So that was good at the beginning. Then we hit a phase, um, you know, where I was using one treatment room, just like every other idiot that came out of school at that time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was, you know, twiddling my thumbs most of the day, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, network and do, do all these things. And, um, and, you know, and then the, 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 the landlord in the building that we were in, it was, it was five of us that were practicing in there all in separate rooms. Uh, he got carted out in handcuffs and uh, in the middle of the day, he was a massage therapist oh, that geez. was practicing without a license and uh, got called for an inappropriate touch. And so I was like, oh, my God, we got to get out of here now. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, so the woman that I was that I co-founded Holistic Health with, she, she this was 2005. And she said, uh, I know that I have this great friend. She's a real estate agent. This woman, she was older than me. She was about 12 to 13 years older than me. And she said, I have this great woman. She's a real estate agent. She's found this great property and we can buy it and start practicing. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is a much bigger leap than I was expecting. And if anybody knows 
what the real estate market was like in 2005, mm-hmm. and then what happened to it in 2007, 2008, you will know that this was a very poor decision to buy this building, right? Okay. And, uh, and so, and I didn't have any money at that point. And so what ended up happening was we're in the toddler phase of the, of the practice. We're, we're like three years in. We're dealing with all the headaches of trying to bring in associates, paying them too much, uh, trying to figure out why we don't have a lot of money left over at the end of the month, trying to do everything for everybody. And then, you know, we have to keep growing in order to maintain. And so it was credit cards started coming out. And it was like, before I knew it, it was 2000. We were two years into practice. We were, we hadn't made any, we haven't made any, any positive money yet. And we had $60,000 on uh, credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not bad with money, but that was bad. And that was scary. And I was transferring all these 0% balances. I wasn't paying a dime in interest because I had this whole system of transferring all this to a zero, opening up another card and you know taking it all out on a 0% interest for a year and then paying it down as we got towards the end of the year. And I had this, this whole kind of convoluted system going. But as, we, as the market started to crumble, you could see the writing on the wall and we knew we needed to get moving fast. And that was, that was the first time I was really scared because I had a lot of money out in debt and, you know, the, the, the building was, was under, was going to be, you know, we didn't know this, but the building was about to be underwater. And so we started, I just started cranking. I just started really, you know, going from one treatment room to two treatment rooms to three treatment rooms out of necessity. And then I realized I was, there was no separation in the quality of care that was being given as I was getting faster and doing more. And so that was really the turning point, I think, for that was like the aha moment for me was going like, oh, shit, we're in big trouble. I need to do something about it. I've got, you know, not a lot of time and we need to figure this out. And so, you know, that's when I started seeing more people. And, you know, luckily it was at a time when we were starting to really have some name recognition in town, you know, two or three years in. And it's a relatively big practice, even at that point for a small Mm -hmm. town. And uh, that that was my first and probably my scariest aha moment in my life. So uh, you were heading right into a, re- uh, so I think it was 2005 that you opened the doors, right? Yep. So three la- years later, that was 2008. So that was the height of the recession, right? Right. And you, let me get this right. You were expanding during this time. Like you were growing. We have, uh, since 2005, we've had um, one year where we broke even and every other year we've had growth. So even in even in the middle of the the biggest recession in you know in my lifetime, we were we grew in to, from 2007 to 2008 to 2009 to 2010. We grew every year, mm-hmm. and it was you know it was just you could see where the issues were, um, or at least I, I was looking. I could see where the issues were, and I could I could see oh hey we we need to expand this. We need to bring in another practitioner. We need to try this. I need to I need to see more people. You need to see more people. It was always this kind of ongoing conversation of how do we keep growing, you know? And the other thing that we did, one other quick thing, the other big thing that we did that was not an oh shit moment, but actually a really, one of the biggest things that helped our practice was we, we decided to try something called the incredible offer. And, you know, a lot of, you know, this was early on in the practice. And so, you know, we didn't know any better. It, you know, you, you, you're always told now, like, don't devalue your, your, your service and things like that. But we needed more continuity and we needed an infusion of cash quickly. And so for, we did a one day discount on, on prepaid treatments and it was like six treatments and we thought it were five treatments, I think. And we thought this was like so many, you know, and at the time I think we were charging, $70 $70 for a treatment. Um, and I think we did a hundred dollars off. Like if you prepaid for five sessions, you could get it for two fifty instead of three fifty. And we had about, um, uh, if I remember correctly, we had about 30 people do it. And we thought we were like killing it. You know, this was like an amazing thing, but it did actually become a, a big piece of our practice as we began to refine that over the years and it was really interesting how that infusion of cash twice a year really led to a lot of um, growth opportunities that we wouldn't have had 
had we done it differently. And so just, just a tangent there, but um, just throwing that in the picture. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough that um, when I first started, it was around that time, it was 2005. And it was one of those things where I had a baby when I first started my practice, you know, we were having a small apartment. I had health issues too, which I shared on another podcast. So I won't bore people, but I was going through the uh, shit moments too. And I did Groupon. Um, yeah. Groupon was r- right at its initial stages and I'm not afraid to admit it here, yeah. um, but I did Groupon. And um, you know, when I started back in 2005, when we would do demonstrations and presentations to the medical community and people at large, people would be like, does that really work? Mm-hmm. No, does it really work? And, and I remember when I went to my college reunion, my five-year reunion, there was a, a guy that was a dentist there, and um, he looked me right in the eye, and he asked me, he goes, "Does that really work?" <laughs> and um, and I think it was my tenure. It was my tenure, and I said to him, "I said, you know, it really doesn't. <laughs> I've been fooling people for years." It's the biggest snake oil that's been been sold for the last 3,000 years. <laughs> and, oh, my God, it was so much fun having that conversation. But, you know, doing the, the Groupon thing, I, I knew that if I get people through the door and they experienced it, it was a, a loss leader for me. Yeah. Because if they just knew about it and I could talk to them more about it and I had that more of a, a, a hit rate, like a, more of a contact with them, that they would learn about it and understand about how the body is meant to heal and what we're doing suggestions to the body so it corrects itself, et cetera, et cetera. And it's relearning what it should be doing naturally. And you've got the most unique pharmacy in the world inside your body, right? Those mm-hmm. type of messages. And I think Groupon was one of the, the main ways that um, I got busy at the beginning mm-hmm. um, and got that cash infusion, like you were saying. And, it, it, you know, I don't do it now, but I did it then. And um, it was, I discounted and I got people in the door and I just made it happen. I, um, but it was, it was, you have to have the hustle, I think. And yeah. um, it's, it's good when you have people in the clinic. It's just a different type of feeling. Definitely. It makes, it makes all the difference in the world. I think that that, you know, that, that pace and that, you know, what, and them seeing it, you know, other patients seeing, oh, this is a busy clinic, you know, that those are the intangibles that are, um, that make doing things like that as, as crazy as they are in hindsight, um, you know, really uh, um, valuable in the moment. And, you know, now it's so different, you know, there's so many different people out there there's so much more accessibility you know to things like uh you know sales training and you know how to build rapport and how to communicate with people and you know even within our field there's great people that are that are treat that are teaching literally like you know just systems systems for for giving patients you know clear treatment plans and keeping you know having good uh, uh cash infusion in the door and how, how you can do that it, it was different back then. It was like, what do you do? You, you, it was a little bit of throwing darts and then going like, oh, yeah, okay, this is the main thing we need. We're going to figure the rest out after that. Mm-hmm. And that's been one of the main lessons, I think, for me over the years that's been really important is sometimes you just have to jump and, and then pick up the pieces and figure out what was good and what wasn't and then build on that and not be afraid to, to fail, you know? Right, right. I agree. I agree. On... Now, since your practice is a lot bigger than when you first started and um, that cash infusion and doing that special, what is your, your main way of, of marketing now besides word, word of mouth? Uh, you know, we do, we, we do a little of um, a little dabbling, right? So we do, go, you know, a little bit of Google AdWords. We do a little bit of Facebook ads. Um, we, we keep, we, we're consistent with it. We just don't do a lot of it, you know? And so the, the idea is that when I need more patients, I ramp it up. And when we don't, we ramp it down. And so it's like pulling levers. Last year we had, you know, more new patients than we, than we needed, you know, than we knew what to do with it at, at one point. And so 
you know, I, I, I dropped it way down. I, I completely stopped those for a while. And so, you know, I think, I think it just depends. Now we're an insurance, we are an insurance based practice. And what I mean by that is it's really a hybrid. Um, 50% of our revenue comes from insurance and 50% does not. Um, but some of what does not is massage and some of what does not is supplements. And so, uh, about 65% of our acupuncture revenue comes from insurance. And so, um, there's a huge built in marketing system there. So the cost that you give that, that, you know, for, for me, and the reason that, that I, insurance is a big kind of like divisive thing in our field, you know, should you do it? Shouldn't you do it? Uh, it's a dying industry. It's a, it's a evil industry. There's so many components to it. Honestly, for me, it was most important at that time to be able to serve more people. That was really my number one motivating factor. And I couldn't take a, you know, we would treat teachers two and three times and they'd say, uh, I just can't, I just can't keep coming. Or we would treat policemen or we would treat, you know, farmers, farriers. I mean, we're in a relatively rural area and Maryland has good insurance laws. And so the thing is, it's not about should you take insurance or shouldn't you take insurance? It's what does your area, uh, what is, what, what does your area um, serve? And in my case, it was great insurance uh, um, uh, reg- standards in the in the state and a lot of people that wanted to use it and had the benefits but didn't have a lot of places to go for it and so again it was it was it was filling a need it was filling that need and so now the you know 10 percent that goes to insurance billing and you know the the extra headaches and the extra employees and the things like that i i kind of think about that as my as part of my marketing budget and then I keep a very low marketing budget and we, you know, and we, we, we kind of work it that way. There's so many different ways to skin this cat. You know, people who have cash practices, they should be doing more marketing. They should be doing, you know, more, um, in my opinion, uh, uh, Google AdWords, Facebook ads. I think they work. I think, you know, you have to have good copy and you have to, you know, target a specific area, you know, audience, but, um, they definitely work. And we've seen lots of people come in over the years who just said, we found you online, quote unquote, you know, well, you don't find anybody online these days, you, you're targeted, you know, so, right. um, so yeah, and, you know, for me, talking about Chinese medicine at the very beginning of my practice was how I found people, there was no real internet ads at that point. And so I went out and I did a public talk. And my goal was to do a public talk every week. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, it was, being a real person in front of real people that got people to say, huh, this doesn't seem so crazy and strange. I'll try it. You know, it was that kind of human to human contact. It all depends what you're good at. I think what you feel, what you are good at should be the focus of your marketing. And then you should be willing to evolve it at different stages of your practice. Mm -hmm. That's great. So with you and your practice, who did you surround yourself by? You know, obviously there's people that have, we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? Mm. But, you know, some people are more of a detailed type of person, some more of an extrovert, introvert, uh, more about the vision. What do you feel like is your superpower and who did you need around you to complement that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's really a superpower per se, you know what I mean? But I, I think for, I could kind of point to two things. So I think um, on the business kind of ownership and operator side, uh, I, the vision has always been really clear for me. I've always from, from the beginning, and I'm not talking about in acupuncture school, as I said, that was, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into, but once I, once I kind of um, identified what I thought was a problem and what I thought was a deficiency in our field, which is that, you know, practitioners had nowhere to go to work and patients had a bunch of kind of put together mom and pop shops to, to, to go to for care. Those two things kind of go went hand in hand for me. And so the vision of building a big practice and, and, and how, what the, what the end goal or like outcome was going to be was always really clear. And it gave me a very clear North pole to drive to. 
what I stink at is uh, details, you know, the details of systems and, you know, that stuff just, it's just not that interesting to me because in a pinch, I've always been able to either work harder or get, you know, get better rapport with somebody, you know, it, it just help somebody get through a messy time, something like that. So, you know, so I needed to surround myself with people that were really um, oriented towards uh, details at the beginning. Um, but, you know, the, the truth is you, you, you most often surround yourself with people that are like you, because those are the people you like. Those are the people you want to hang out with. Those are the people that are fun, right? So I ended up with a bunch of very outgoing, uh, gregarious, happy people that were working for me that were none of which were detail oriented. <laughs> and so it took me a long time to figure out why it was so, why it was so crazy. You know, around the office. And then we hired our first like really introverted, you know, uh, you know, spreadsheet loving, you know, uh, monster. And she was so amazing. And I was like in awe of her ability to just sit there and just look at spreadsheets and, put formulas on there and put things together. And so it took a while to figure out that I was just hiring people that were like me and not what I needed. And that was a big, that was a big learning lesson. Uh Um, You know, in the treatment room, I think, you know, if you want to call it a superpower, you know, some people are just really good with certain treatments and um, have certain strategies and things, you know, uh, some people are great with sales and they can just kind of like talk to patients about money super easily I think for me, it's just, um, it's just the type of rapport building and being really clear about expectations. You know, it's, it's that, that has been, it's just the thing that I have, I have gotten most interested in is making sure that when that patient leaves the treatment room for the first time, I know that they know exactly what we're talking about and we're on the same page and they know that I know that they know, you know, like, it's like that whole thing. I don't want to leave the treatment room until I feel like that's super clear. And I don't mind changing my approach from patient to patient. You know, you can't necessarily just say, well, this is, I'm this type of practitioner and this is my personality. And I believe that every patient should be on intermittent fasting. And I believe that no patients should, should drink a smoothie in the morning. It's that same thing about, you know, you don't want to make a patient wrong. You want to give them the tools, but you can't, you can't force what you spent four years studying. And for some of us, 20 years studying on a patient that has no context for what we're talking about. We have to take it a little bit slower and then, you know, build that, build that trust so that you're not just coming in as this kind of, you know, holier than now holistic practitioner that knows more than them. And, you know, you know, that's not my approach. My approach is be really connected to the patient and then slowly drop in, Hey, you know, this is, this is what I've found about this particular diet and I think it would really it would really benefit you I want to talk about this next time but I want you to you read this link when you when you when you get home this week or whatever you know it's it's really about building that so so for if we're going to talk about like a superpower in the treatment room that I think I can I I've kind of honed a a relatively quickly way to do quick way to do that and and uh, you know I think that that is super super helpful awesome awesome so we're Getting short on time here, and I have one last question for you. Yeah, sure. For you in your practice, what does success mean for you? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, I think about this a lot. Um, you know, what is what is success, and what is enough, and what what is uh, what are you doing this for? And, you know, you, not because of, not because of sadness, you know, or, or like feeling like it's not, you know, I'm not loving every day. Cause I, I really do enjoy going into the office every day. Um, you know, and, and to be honest with you, that's really how I define success personally is, is do I wake up in the morning and go like, Ugh, another it's Monday. I don't want to go into, you know, what, what are we doing next weekend? You know, that would be a miserable life if it was for me, you know, um, I want to enjoy 
we spend more time at work than we do doing anything else except sleep. And for some of us, I probably spend more time at work than sleep. But, you know, for, for mo most, I want to enjoy what I'm doing in my life and I want to enjoy what I'm doing in my work. I don't want to come home from work and not be completely engaged with my family. You know, if, if that's happening, then I'm not being successful. You know what I mean? So for me, it's, it's enjoying, enjoying life, enjoying work, um, and then reaching goals within timelines that I lay out. That's if you want to get kind of down to the nitty gritty. I want to grow every year. That's my goal. And that's what we've been able to do. And I want to find ways to do that. I want to help train people up so that they can go from seeing one patient an hour to two to three to four. I want to bring more people in. I want to make sure that we are bringing in new services that our patients want. Um, I want to grow every year. And, you know, I want to make sure that we, you know, success for me would be when I feel that acupuncture is in the medical space, in the conversation, in a way that is um, real and it's not, you know, kind of the, the, the little kid on the side waiting to get in to play with the older boys. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to, I want to be in that conversation. I want us to be in that conversation. And, and I want the, the people that are listening to this to really, uh, to really feel like that's possible, you know, to really feel like that is something that even if you're by yourself, you can have a really professional medical practice. Even if you are, um, it's just you and a receptionist, even if it's just a couple people, even if you have no idea how to get where, where we're going, you know, the, the intention that we, that we're going to get to, um, this place of, you know, really being a player in the medical space, patients already want our services. It's just about what, what can we do to serve those patients? And there's many, many more people, um, that need to be served than, than that are doing the serving at the moment. And so, um, and so that is, uh, you know, think big and, you know, and think abundantly and, and then success comes when, when we, when we're able to really be in that conversation. Great. Great. Well, Ryan, you've, you brought it today. Thank you, my friend. Uh, it was great to have you on this episode and uh, I'd love to have you back in the, in the near future. Absolutely. Happy to. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for listening. If you like the podcast, consider joining our Facebook group. Just search for Clear Path to Success Professional Development. Thank you all again.